of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. And welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, and I am very excited that we are really moving uh, through this psalm project as intended. <laughs> this is a lengthy project, and sometimes it is easy at a, a project this size and this length to get uh, to lose focus and to just say, you know what, I'm not going to do it anymore. But here we are going through it. We are almost halfway through the book of Psalms, and today we are ending book two, also known as the Psalms of the Northern Kingdom. And so here we are ending book two. The next episode we will begin book three, which is a rather short book. Um, so we're here in Psalm 72, and so this is the second part of the book of Psalms. It concludes with a royal psalm asking God to bless the just king. And some of the language goes beyond what applies strictly to an earthly king and really anticipates the Messiah. Um, I have set the musical setting as a robust, um, bold hymn setting. And um, 10 stanzas, they are short stanzas, but there are 10 stanzas in this. And so... Uh, you can get the idea from that. So let me read for you Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor and of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish... And of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls. The poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. And saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. 
Now, I will get into that last verse that I just read, verse 20, and explain that a little bit. But let's break it down from the beginning. So, the title here is Of Solomon. Um, There are a lot of opinions about this particular title. Uh, The Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, it understands the title to name Solomon as the subject matter and not of the psalm, the author of the psalm. But the traditional understanding of the Hebrew is to indicate authorship. And so you have two different directions you can go there. uh, Solomon could have authored this psalm, or it could have been directed he could be the subject matter of the psalm. Um, I'm not going to give you an opinion on either one, <laughs> uh, because I truly don't know. Verse 1, let's get into this. Um, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. So God is the divine king, and he is the source of all justice and righteousness. And if, if the human king here is to have such qualities, he has to receive them from God. Understand that any goodness that comes from any humanity is not of themselves, but only of God. I have discussions about this with people often, and I, I often say that people are 100% totally and radically depraved, evil. We will always choose evil. And so people will try to say, I think there's a little bit of good in people. And, you know, that might be easy to believe, but that's not truth. And that's not what scripture teaches. Even in Romans 2, um, when, when you read that people perhaps do good because of a universal moral code, that does not mean that people are good by nature. Because where does the universal moral code come from except from God himself? So even good that comes from people who are not Christians, you know, people might say, well, how do people who are not Christians do any good if if they're radically evil? Because, you know, you see people who are not Christians do maybe some good acts. Well, how does that happen if they're evil and they're depraved and, and there's no good in humanity? Even that is from God, because that universal moral code still comes from God. The point of Romans is to convince us, or to show us, that we are not good, that the law can do nothing for us, that we are incapable of following the law, and therefore we need God's mercy. And so God's justice here, the king is crying out for, for God to... Give the king justice and righteousness. And then he says in verse 2, May he judge your people with righteousness. So it's interesting here that he says, Your people. May he judge your people, God, with righteousness. This is not; These are not the king's people. These are God's people. I used to have, uh, I used to refer to the people that I served in a, in a church that I served. I referred to, to them as my people. And I said, you know, I'm serving my people. And another pastor wisely pointed out to me, they are not your people. They are God's people. (laughs) And it changes your perspective when you realize that these are God's people, not your own. Verse 4, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy. The king had a special uh, responsibility to the vulnerable in the society, and God has a special concern 
and a love for the poor, and the earthly king has to take special care of them. This is not to say that there's some notorious act in being poor, that that's something to strive for. That's not the point. Uh, But the point is that God has a special care and concern for the poor and the needy. And similarly, the king and those in leadership are to take care of them. Now, I could get into, on that note, whether it is right um, to tax people so that the government will take care of the poor and the needy. Um, I I won't get into it in detail, but let's just say that, uh, no, that is not right. (laughs) God uh, calls individuals to care for people. And you might say, well, how does the government, how does the king take care of people if, you know, if people aren't taxed so that the government can take care of them? Well, that's another issue. You can get into that another time. Understand that God has a care and a concern for the poor and the needy. And he's called individual people, his people, to take care of them. Verse 5. May they fear you while the sun endures. And as it is applied to the earthly king here, this is a poetic overstatement. The, the, the language here looks forward to the one king who will live forever, the King Jesus Christ. Luke 1.33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Hebrews 7.16, he has become a priest, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Revelation 11.5, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And so this psalm, although referencing the earthly king, looks forward to the Messiah. Verse 8, may he have dominion from sea to see, there is an allusion here to the promised um, boundaries of Exodus twenty three thirty one, but the language exceeds any achievement of an earthly king, and it looks forward to the Messiah's reign. May he have dominion from sea to sea, so not just the land of Israel, but everywhere. Verse 9, may desert tribes bow before him. The the desert tribes it's referring to are the rebellious tribes of the desert uh, that did not honor God. And so the king is saying here, may these tribes that don't honor you bow before you. May his enemies lick the dust. May everyone know that you are God. Verse 10, we get some geographical references here. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. These places were considered to be remote. Tarshish is usually associated with uh, Tartessus in Spain, and Sheba and probably Seba are in northern or in southern Arabia. Although these locations are really unclear, that's probably the location. Verse 17. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. This verse recalls the Abrahamic promises of Genesis 12, 2, and 3. The king is the focal point for the society of God's people, and he represents the people and is the heir of the promises. And in Jesus Christ, these promises come to fulfillment. 
verses 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Now, each of the five books of Psalms, they conclude with a doxology, praising the name of the Lord. So you saw that at the end of book one. You see it here at the end of book two. You'll see it at the end of the other books. There is some type of doxology praising the name of the Lord. And then we get this concluding voice. It's pretty interesting in verse 20. It says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And so you might think, okay, there are no more texts of David after this point. Well, at some point in the process of collecting the Psalms, all of the Psalms of David were grouped together in the first two books. But this type of unity wasn't preserved as the book continued. And this verse really can't be applied strictly to Psalms 1 through 72. So you will see more texts of David. (laughs) Um, so that's what's going on here. Yes, this verse was in uh, the original Psalter, but as I said, it you know at some point it, this the unity here with the prayers of David were lost. Um, well, not not lost. They were uh, not just compiled in the first two books, and so you will see more texts of David here. But this verse remains. It is here, <laughs> and and still inspired by God. And and there is a logical explanation for why it is still here. So, don't say, "Well, the Word of God is not inspired." It's not really the Word of God. Don't say that. That's that you know that that doesn't apply here. There's a logical explanation to it. So we have we have ended Psalm 72, and in doing so, ended Book Two of the Book of Psalms, uh, a royal psalm here, where the king is asking. Uh, the heavenly king for his righteousness and his favor upon his life. And so I've, I've set this in a bold and stately hymnic setting. There are 10 stanzas to this, so it is somewhat lengthy, but I think the entire tune is about four or five minutes, uh, something like that. And so here is Psalm 72, concluding book two of the book of Psalms. Enjoy this musical setting of Psalm 72. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Just will flourish 
Sun outlast me all. 